0: Welcome to Government Center. I'm Alex Ross. Councillor Joss Zakem's decision not to run for re election left a highly contested open seat in the City Council's 8th District, spanning from the Back Bay to Beacon Hill. Last month, two first time challengers made it to the general stage of the election. One of them joins us right now. Jennifer Nassauer, thank you for being with
1: us. Well, thank you for having (laughs) me.
0: All right, let's dive right in. Should you be elected, you would be the sole registered Republican on council. How do you plan to effectively legislate on a council that now has a lot of Democrats?
1: Well, I mean, the city council is nonpartisan. So, you know, we start from there. And... I don't view potholes and missing bricks and uneven sidewalks and rogue Ubers to be a partisan issue. Um, And so I think that if we're actually looking at the issues that the city council can effectuate some change on, and those are the quality of life issues, partisan politics don't come in.
0: Your Democratic endorsed opponent, Kenzie Box, swept the September 24th preliminaries with just over 50% of the votes. You had earned just above 18%. How do you plan to win over the electorate for the November 5th elections?
1: Well, I mean, I've been in politics a long time, so everything is a numbers game. And so I was never trying to win in September, that wasn't my goal. My goal was to come in the top two <laughs> and, and I did that. You did. And so I knew I needed, or I knew I wanted 750 votes. I got 740 votes and I figured out who the other 10 people are. So <laughs> I I'm, I'm, feel like I'm in a pretty good spot and I have nowhere to go, but up. And so now it's my team. Thankfully, we increased in size. We have a lot of people out there who are on the ground, who are making calls and we're identifying those other votes that we need.
0: Where do you think, or where do you expect those other votes to come from?
1: Well, um, ge- geographically or or demographically? Um, I mean,
0: let's start demographically.
1: So, I mean, well, Number one, I went along in this race saying, you know, it's a nonpartisan race. So I never really talked about the fact that I am a Charlie Baker Republican. And so the governor endorsed me four days before the election. Um, he did a robocall for me, but I think that that is one of my messages to get out there is that we seem to like how the governor is doing considering he's the most popular governor in the nation. And so I think going out there and targeting those same folks who really appreciate Baker's style, are going to also appreciate mine.
0: Sure. Um, Boston City Council elections are often overlooked. This kind of ties back into what we were just talking about. You could say they're overlooked by the younger voting bloc. At Boston University here in Back Bay, how do you plan to appeal to perhaps this arguably untapped market of that younger
1: side? Well, I did get 50% of the vote. I mean, a whole four voters came out and (laughs) voted for me. Um, So, you know, I hope, that our students in this awesome city where we do have so many universities um, actually are paying attention to local politics and what goes on because this actually affects their life as well because if you would like to stay in Boston later on and you want to build a life here then the condition of the city is going to come into play. So that is everything from the opioid crisis, to education, to transportation, to bike lanes, and the quality of our streets and sidewalks. And quality of life is different for everyone. So for me, I think, It's really important for college students to be involved in this process. And you know, it's not just college students. I mean, look, at the end of the day, democracy, something is wrong in our democracy if only 11% of our registered voters come out in a preliminary and somewhere around 17 to 20% come out for a general election.
0: We were talking earlier about your younger brother and I understand his name was George and he died of an accidental overdose when you were in law school. would you say that you have a personal stake in the matter, like the opioid crisis,
1: that's that's really ravaging the state right now? I do, because I got to see firsthand what it was like to be a family member of someone who was suffering with addiction. Um, we didn't notice at first, it was something that none of the signs were really prevalent to us, and then um, and then it was just a downward spiral from there, and my feeling is if there were If the signs were noticed, if the right mental health was, um, you know, Uh, services and treatment was there. Instead, the system at the time, this is almost 20 years ago, said, oh, no, it's better if we throw him in jail, and then we put him into the county mental health facility, and then we had to get him out and put him into rehab, which you can check out of. And so it really is, it's not just the people who are suffering with addiction, but it's the family members as well. And I think we need to do something radical about it. And whether that's opening back up Long Island Bridge, rebuilding it and reopening that facility, or building another facility and getting some other communities this is not an issue that's just specific to Boston and what i would say as a city councilor is we need to go out to everyone else and hold them accountable as well
0: sure and you know you brought up the the long island bridge i know Quincy's been, you know, really opposed to kind of reopening that. They've cited, you know, concerns of traffic congestion. What might you say oh, in response to that? I'm
1: so sorry <laughs> that it might cause some traffic congestion. Come to any of our neighborhoods in, in, you know, this district, in the 8th district, and see the traffic congestion. I'm so little concerned about traffic congestion when it comes to the opioid crisis. So, we need to work on that as our issue that we can work with our neighbors. And if they're not going to be a good neighbor, then I would say then we we need to go to the federal government, and we need to ask them to withhold any funding for the city of Quincy until they want to play some ball with us.
0: So that's your next step. Should they continue to play hardball? You're going to play hardball back. Absolutely. All right. Later on, we are going to be discussing Governor Baker's vape ban. As an outspoken public health and safety advocate who, as we know, has been endorsed by the governor himself, what's your stance on his statewide vape ban?
1: Well, I love it. I have teenagers. And so um, I think the the best moment to actually solidify the governor's, uh, what the governor did and make it, for me, the right decision was when my kids came home and they said, everyone is outraged on Snapchat. (laughs) I said, well, considering most of your friends are in middle school and high school, that I'm really happy the governor did what he did. And we saw just, you know, over the past day that one person has already died from a um, vape-related illness. And so I think that, you know, this is one of those things, it wasn't tested, it wasn't meant to replace cigarette smoking, I'm not advocating for cigarette smoking, but it wasn't meant to replace it. And I think a lot more studies need to be done on it. And the governor's ban is that opportunity to kind of reset and for us to take a deeper dive.
0: Jennifer Nassour, thank you so much. Now let's turn over to Armand Manukian with tonight's panel. Armand.
2: Thanks, Alex. On September 24th, Governor Charlie Baker issued a temporary ban on all vaping products, declaring a statewide public health emergency. The ban has been heavily criticized for neglecting smoke shop owners and the fate of their businesses. Joining us now is one such critic to bring a lawsuit to the governor's administration, attorney Craig Rourke. And alongside him a sponsor to the anti-vape efforts in the state legislature, representative danielle gregoire thank you both for being here thank you for having me
3: thank you for having
2: us uh, mr Oak i want to start with you what is the legal pathway to suspending this ban
4: well uh... immediately that would be a preliminary injunction which would uh, enjoin the commissioner of public health from enforcing the ban uh, and it would allow the shops to reopen until we have a chance to fully litigate the cases pending in state court And in federal court, and you've cited
2: uh, a similar case in 2014 when Governor Duval Patrick uh, banned Zohydro, and then a federal judge deemed that uh, to have been superseded by federal law. Correct? Correct. Yes. Then uh, can I ask why it is that a federal judge in Boston on October fourth did not vote to suspend this ban? What's the difference between the two cases?
4: Well. uh at that time, we were seeking a temporary restraining order, and last Friday the hearing was limited strictly to the temporary restraining order. Mm-hmm. It's not at all uncommon to uh, seek a temporary restraining order, have that denied, which is an extraordinary remedy, and uh, and then later get a preliminary injunction. And we have a hearing next Tuesday before the same judge. She just wanted to get some more information. I see. And you're uh, protesting the ban on the grounds
2: that it hurts uh, public businesses, correct?
4: Well, for me, I represent five small family businesses, Mm -hmm. and uh, each of them are suffering irreparable harm every day that the ban continues. Now, one thing that the judge brought up was whether or not adequate capitalization should be considered as part of a calculus for irreparable harm. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it most certainly does, because nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. And without notice and opportunity, for uh, planning and preparing. A government ban on an entire class of products is not something that a business owner is expected or reasonably expected to be adequately capitalized for. Uh, Representative Grugard, do you feel the same way?
3: I don't. I think the first thing that we have to point out is that there is a vast difference between the Zohydro ban and what the governor did last, two weeks ago. Uh, Zohydro was a federally approved product Mm -hmm. and vaping products are not approved by the FDA, contrary to the claims made by the attorney. Um, So I think that's the huge part of the issue here. And respectfully, while my bill doesn't do the same thing that the governor's ban Mm -hmm. did, nor does it use the same mechanism, I think at the end of the day, it is our goal, unfortunately, to get these products off the shelves. Mm -hmm. So our bill, House 1902, that I filed with my colleague in the Senate, Senator Keenan, would ban all electronic cigarette flavors. As well as mint, menthol traditional combustible cigarettes, mm-hmm. so we don't go as far as to um, go into the marijuana issue at all. And again, our ban would have a different mechanism in which it would take place. There would have been a phase in. So I certainly understand the concerns of the business, but when you open a business like that, there is an assumption of the risk that happens. And with these products, we had to, have, we should have foreseen, quite frankly that they were going to cause health issues and so I think it was incumbent upon the business owners to realize that.
2: Do you see this as undermining federal regulation?
3: I don't because there is no regulation. I see.
4: Well that's not true. Uh, These products have been regulated since 2016 by the Mm -hmm. FDA and my clients have had to expend money and invest money in order to comply with those regulations. It's controlled by the Tobacco Control Act and the Food Drug and Cosmetic Act through what's called the Deeming Rule. AND AS A RESULT OF THAT, ALL OF THESE PRODUCTS ARE SUBJECT TO THE SAME uh, REGULATORY AUTHORITY AS uh, combustible TOBACCO Mm -hmm. PRODUCTS. Um, SO uh, I APPRECIATE THAT THIS IS GOING TO BE DISCUSSED IN A PUBLIC FORUM BEFORE THE GENERAL COURT Mm -hmm. AND THAT THERE WILL BE DEBATE AND THERE WILL BE AN OPPORTUNITY FOR EVERY SIDE TO BE HEARD. THERE WILL BE A CHANCE FOR THE SHOP OWNERS TO TESTIFY, I HOPE, Uh, an opportunity for medical experts from both sides to discuss the issue many of whom believe that these electronic nicotine delivery system products, these vaping products are indeed harm reduction tools uh, and smoking cessation devices. They've helped many people quit and one of the unintended consequences of this hasty action was that many uh, customers are returning to combustible cigarettes, combustible tobacco. Uh,
2: That was a point that I was going to bring up. Uh, To what extent does uh, a ban like this drive people back to cigarettes or to cigarettes for the first ever time? So
3: I first want to acknowledge the interest in having the public's voice heard, Mm -hmm. and they did have that opportunity. The bill that I filed was heard before the Joint Committee on Public Health on July 17th of this year. And we had a significant amount of folks who turned up on both sides of the issue to testify in support or against the ban and that will continue, that discussion will continue as we move forward. We do know that these devices are not cessation devices. They are not regulated by the FDA to be cessation devices. They are not prescribed by a doctor as a cessation device. And we also know that the overwhelming number of people who turn to these devices as cessation tactics end up using both e-cigarettes and traditional combustible cigarettes.
2: I see. And um, one of the major inspirations for you to write your bill in the first place uh, was the impact that uh, the electronic nicotine devices have on the youth, correct? 100%. Uh, How would you counter uh, the reach that these uh, devices are having on the youth if there was no ban in place?
4: Well, I'd start by saying that my clients, our shopkeepers, are our gatekeepers to Mm -hmm. making sure that uh, young people uh, do not get their hands on these products. Uh, none of my clients uh, have been cited for selling to minors and all of them are 21 plus shops
2: but the ban wouldn't be uh on your specific shops they'd be on all shops and regardless of whether or not your clients are selling uh to underage people it's being sold to them um, in uh, a quote you gave to Boston magazine you called this a manufactured crisis yes uh, uh just yesterday on Dave recording um, October 7th the first ever vapor-related ban was report uh death excuse me was reported in Massachusetts let's say for the sake of argument that uh, this is a public health emergency and that uh, every uh, health concern that's been raised by Senator Gaguar and by uh, Governor Paker is correct, do your clients still have the right to own and operate their
4: business? Okay well I reject the premise to start and what I I would say is that if we all do through a process of uh, legislation, uh, meetings, notice, opportunity, come to the conclusion that a public health crisis is being caused by these products, the legally sold and regulated ones by the FDA, which there really isn't a firm body of evidence to support. Indeed, the CDC has said many times that it appears the vast majority of these occur in underage people who are smoking illegal black market Mm -hmm. THC products with vitamin E additives. So when the respiratory illnesses come to, you know, resemble somebody exposed to mustard gas, it's because they uh, we're using a product that was filled with uh, illegal additives, not those regulated by the FDA. Um, the most common products in uh, these vape cartridges, these e-liquids, are vegetable uh, glycerin and glycol, which are common food additives in, in many foods that we eat.
3: So, I'm sorry to interrupt. First thing I want to say is that we do know that for every adult that purchases an e-cigarette, six youth in Massachusetts are getting their hands on them, so yep. regardless of what your client's protocol is for enforcing the 21 and over regulation, it's happening, Mm -hmm. so it's incumbent upon us as legislators to protect our youth, which is what we want to do. And to the point about glycerin and glycol, yes, those things are that are in food, but they're not heated up to 400 degrees, which those chemicals were not to be meant to be heated to those temperatures, which is part of what's causing the issue. And again, I want to take issue with the alleged FDA regulation because I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one. It's been proven time over time that these companies have been wanting nothing to do with regulation.
2: Well, I I really hate to leave it there, but we need to go. Thank you both so much. Thank Uh, Thank you all for watching Government Center. From all of us here at BUTV 10, have a great night.